On today's show, we preview the World Cup, answer your mailbag questions, and also look at the player tiers over the At The Athletic. We'll have all of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1540 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening here in late August. And today's show, we'll be diving into your mailbag questions as well as the latest news, some World Cup stuff, some player tiers. But first, I should tell you, make us your first listen each and every day on this podcast. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify. We're also on YouTube on the video side. And I do appreciate you listening to the show and giving us your patronage. On a regular basis, if you are not familiar with the show, we appreciate you joining us for the first time today. We hope you come back for the future. Um, we'll dive in now. Not a huge week of news. Of course, we're still firmly, I would say, in the dead zone of the NBA calendar. Um, but if you've missed it in the last couple of weeks, I did some schedule release stuff last week. Andrew Kelly came on the show for Street Hoops for a fun conversation. I did a mailbag-driven podcast earlier this week, and we'll have some more questions coming up right now. I have a guest lineup, hopefully, for our next show after this one. But first... Some news here. The Hawks announced seven new hires on the athletic performance team on Tuesday. Not a huge like headline-grabbing announcement, but it's still uh, important for the training staff, basically is what that uh, sort of accounts to. Um, the headliner is the addition of Ray Chow as the director of integrative health now for the Hawks. This was kind of reported earlier this summer and got some attention in some circles because he was a former Raptors employee, and there was a report, I can't remember even where, who it, where it started, that he and Pascal Siakam we're close because of, you know the Siakam rumors were kind of running out there. And uh, Chow was with Toronto though for 27 seasons as a massage, as a massage therapist and athletic trainer. He also did work on the strength and conditioning program and, and the nutrition side for the Raptors. Again, he was reported to have a good relationship with Siakam, which some Hawks fans made that leap to kind of assume that meant that Siakam was definitely coming, which, which, which we've seen as of this moment has not happened at that point in time. But I think more interestingly, honestly, Chow was on the staff in Toronto when Landry Fields, the Hawks' current general manager, was a player for the Raptors in the early 2010s for three or four seasons. So there's a relationship there, obviously. I don't know how close they are, but I think that sort of raised my eyebrows more as the probable connection here versus the Siakam thing. So uh, also Chow is not the head of the department or anything like that. He's uh, he's one of the parts of the athletic depart- uh, training department. Scotty Parker is back for a 10th season as the top guy and uh, just some interesting hires, but check out the headlines, but nothing uh, earth shattering there necessarily. Also on the news front, a few days ago, the Hawks officially announced the two hires in College Park. I discussed the hire of Ryan Schmidt as the Hawks uh, G League head coach down in College Park for the Skyhawks earlier this month. That is now official and has been announced by the Hawks. Plus, the Hawks also announced that he's actually going to be contributing to the Big League Club as well as an assistant for Quinn Snyder. We'll see how like that's going to work logistically, but I assume Schmidt will be in training camp until College Park stuff begins and will be at least around the team and sort of in the conversations because that's the way it's supposed to work. You want to have that organizational cohesion from top to bottom. So uh, there you go on that. Also, the Hawks hired Daniel Starkman as the GM for College Park. He was already part of the organization versus Schmidt from the outside. Um, but Starkman was the senior manager of basketball operations for the Hawks the last four years and was in the front office even before that. So Landry Fields got a quote about Starkman and how he's sort of going to be aligning with the vision of the organization and scouting and development. I think it's going to be a huge emphasis with Snyder and already is with the Hawks side. And again, not to beat this drum too much, there are a lot of advantages to having your G League team only down the street, basically, from your big league club. It's because you can have 
that sort of top to bottom cohesion. You can run, you run the same stuff, have the same development tools, have the same terminology. That kind of stuff can be not like huge, but certainly can matter on the margins for a program that is still pretty young with this Hawks team as the majority of guys are still up and coming at this point in time. Okay. With the news out of the way, I will dive in now quickly to the World Cup. I got a lot of questions about this the last few days, and it's going to be beginning in just a couple of days now. Um, in fact, it begins on Friday, and from Friday through September 3rd, which is, you know, 10-ish days, there are eight games per day of World Cup action. So if you are a basketball junkie like I am, there'll be plenty to watch. The times are not great, ideally, for people in the U.S., and you do need ESPN Plus to have the full gamut, but the games are actually pretty available to watch by, you know, m- modern circumstances. It's a 32-team tournament as well. Of course, the U.S. is a pretty big favorite to win it. Our friends at FanDuel, our official sportsbook partner of the Lothar Podcast Network, have the U.S. at minus 130 to win the whole tournament. So they're actually favored over the field right now to win the gold medal. For comparison, Australia and Canada are at plus 750 as the teams with the second and third best odds. Then France, then Spain, and then Serbia is the top six in terms of the betting odds right now. And crucially, the U.S., if they are to win all of their group stage games, which they'll be massive favorites in all of these games. So if they win them all, they don't have to play any of the top five competitors, Australia, Canada, France, Spain, or Serbia. None of those teams will see the U.S. before the semifinals unless the, unless the U.S. actually happens to lose one of the group stage games. So we'll keep, that, keep an eye on that, obviously. Um, I'm not going to do the whole tournament in this space. You know, some podcasts might do that. Um, I get it. It's, it's, it's a Hawks podcast. I'll be watching, but uh, I'm sure you don't necessarily want me to cover all of the machinations of the tournament necessarily. But there are three guys from the Hawks standpoint that are playing in the World Cup. So that's definitely worth noting and watching and monitoring. The headliner by far is Bogdan Mandanovic, who is the best player for Serbia because Jokic is not playing in the World Cup. Serbia does have Nikola Jovic from Miami, their young player, but Bogey is definitely the guy for Serbia. And of course, I got a lot of questions about like whether it's good for the Hawks that he's playing or not. That's kind of debatable. I think it's a good thing that Bogey feels up to playing and feels healthy enough to play. I think all things equal, if you gave the Hawks true serum, you might say that they probably don't want him to play. But it's one of those things where you're not going to stop a guy from playing. And the fact that he is healthy right now is a very positive thing. And then, you know, obviously he'll be one of the probably one of the five best players in the tournament that's not on the U.S. team, for instance, as far as FIBA competition. Obviously, he won't, he's not necessarily of the highest profile, but he is one of the better players that is in the tournament that's not on the U.S. team. Also, Patty Mills is playing for Australia. Australia has a lot of NBA guys, actually, but Mills is not quite the same guy that he used to be in the NBA. We'll have more on him later on this month or maybe even next month as uh, we have not done a full deep dive into Patty Mills just yet on the podcast. But he's been an awesome FIBA player for a long time. Uh, in fact, against the U.S. a couple times in high-profile situations. Uh, still a very good fit for that style of play in FIBA, so he'll be worth watching for Hawks, Hawks fans around the uh, city. And then finally, Bruno Fernando is playing for Angola in the tournament. Angola is one of the lowest ranked teams in the field. Bruno is their only NBA player, I believe, on their roster. So probably not going to make a deep run necessarily, but Bruno gets some uh, on-court action, some attention, and that's not a bad thing either. So anyway, that's three teams to watch for the Hawks just beyond beyond the U.S. team if you were invested there. And uh, I know people are not – I saw some Hawks fans rooting against the USA. I don't necessarily blame you for that because the Trey thing, I uh, will be rooting for the U.S. I just – that's just the way way it is for me. But I don't love the way they put the roster together for the U.S. even beyond Trey. But they're still the best team in the field by far from a talent standpoint. I do need Jaron Jackson Jr. He's probably the X factor for me on that USA team because he's the only guy that can do what he can do at the center spot for them. So foul trouble there health-wise for him. 
Anthony Edwards has been fantastic in the qualifying. Um, and, and is kind of following, I'm not saying he's, he's going to become Kevin Durant, but uh, you might remember this a while ago if you're a big uh, sort of international basketball fan. But KD had a big breakout when he was pretty much the same age as Anthony Edwards and uh, obviously became what he became. KD is like an all-time top 15, 20 player of all time. And I'm not saying he's going to get there, but he's having his breakout right now potentially as a you know upper-tier guy in the league, which has been a lot of fun to watch. And then they have a bunch of wings, of course, backcourt guys, you know, Halliburton, Brunson on the backcourt. They have Mikael Bridges and Brandon Ingram, et cetera, on the wings. Um, not huge size, though, but regardless, uh, the U.S. should win the tournament. Should, not definitely will, but should win the tournament if they play well. But this is not a dream team level lock. They're not going to be a massive, massive favorite when it comes to playing the real teams at the end of the tournament to get there. So we'll see all of that. But uh, play, plenty of basketball to watch. That's kind of the way I would say right now. If you are a basketball fan that's just missing the on-court action, this is going to be something to monitor over you know a couple of weeks here. Again, eight games a day for like 10 days. That kind of slows down a little bit after that, but then, then you're going to sort of the, high, the more high-profile games when you get into the knockout round, et cetera. So that's going to be getting, it's going to be beginning, I should say, on Friday. And again, Bogdanovich, Mills, and Fernando on the Hawks side. Okay, we'll have more on this podcast to come, including Seth Partnow's player tiers. We've got, got a lot of questions about that, as well as some other mailbag stuff on the show today. But first, a worth our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Ibotta. Are you finally taking that vacation that you've been planning, but also happen to be dreading everything that you actually have to buy before you leave on that vacation? If so, it is long past time. Stop spending that hard-earned money that you have without getting anything back in return, and that means checking out Ibotta. Ibotta gives you cash back on tons of grocery items from produce to personal care to pantry goods, and that way you can make sure you're beating inflation no matter what you're having to be purchasing. Either link your account with loyalty or upload your receipt. After you shop, get your cash back. It's just that easy with Ibotta. The average user earns $120 per year. It covers the entire cost of a shopping trip or maybe cash back on that flight that you've been trying to get or the game you're trying to go to, maybe even a face dinner, etc., other apps give you points that don't actually amount to anything. With Ibotta, though, you get real cash back. You can get use that cash back, getting getting to your, your bank account, to your PayPal, or even to gift cards. You can earn cash back on hundreds of online brands and retailers. That includes places like Lowe's and Macy's and Sephora, Best Buy, and more. And right now, Ibotta is offering our listeners $5 just for trying Ibotta by using the code LOCKED when you register. Go to the App Store or Google Play Store right now, download the free Ibotta app, and use the promo code LOCKED. When you get there, that is I-B-O-T-T-A in the Google Play or App Store and use the promo code LOCK when you get there. Check out Ibotta today. All right. And I started to attribute these questions to different people, but I got so many questions about Seth Partnow's player tiers, player tiers, I should say, at The Athletic. But I'm just going to combine them all and talk about that for this segment of the podcast. These came out in mid-August. It's a multi-part series for The Athletic. And uh, full disclosure, I am friends with Seth. I think he's very smart. He's been on the show before. I've been on his show before. We've talked online, offline, et cetera. We don't agree on everything by any means, but and you'll definitely hear that in a second with my analysis of these player tiers, but he's very smart. And uh, generally speaking, even for people like me that have an opinion on this kind of stuff, it is basically impossible to rank or tier the top 125 players in the league each season, especially in the offseason. And uh, he did say always in the write-up of these posts, they're not trying to be ranking necessarily, but inevitably it is kind of a ranking on some level. He also writes this. I thought it was pretty interesting that in his research, quote, somewhere between 125 and 150 players on every, on, sorry, on average perform at a level consistent with adding measurable championship equity to their teams in a given season. So basically what he's saying is there are like 125, 150 players that are actually like positive value guys, like actually positive value toward championship equity each season. And basically the athletics set it on 125 to have consistency year to year with these tiers. Now, 
importantly, the Hawks didn't have a great year last year, obviously. And I've said this before on the show, no one, including their best players, Trey and Ajante, had like seasons that I would describe as like awesome for them, for their standards. Again, I think Trey was Trey isn't was underrated this last year, but he didn't have a great year for him. DeJounte, same thing. Nobody on the roster, I thought, played above their normal level or above their typical level. And as a result, no one on the Hawks rose in the rankings slash tiers from last year to this year. Everyone stayed pat or fell. In fact, last year they had six guys on the list. This year's only five, and that's because of Collins being traded. Collins is still on the list, but he was moved, so it's only five this year. We'll start at the bottom and go up. I'll say this. I would already have a Kongwu in the fifth tier if it was me. He is, in my opinion, flat out better than a couple of guys, at least a few guys, I would say, that are in tier five in the listing. I do kind of get it because he has not played that many minutes so far, as we talked about a ton. But I think, you know, metrically, eye test, efficiency, defense, versatility, he's just better than some of these guys. I'd actually have him in tier five already, despite all of what I said about not the fact that he hasn't, he hasn't played that much. Um, I also think you can make a reasonable argument for Sadiq Bey. Um, I kind of get it there too, because defensively it was really rough last year, but offensively he made uh, definitely some inroads in Atlanta. His shooting's really valuable. And again, you can't have too many of those like six, seven guys who can at least you have some, some defensive value, hopefully if you're the Hawks with, with physicality and strength and then the shooting is very valuable at that position. So I think they would be uh, reasonably in there as well. So the Hawks could have as many as, as seven guys. They only have five though listed in Seth's tiers. I saw some Hawks fans, in fact, some of the questions I got were like, why Jalen Johnson's on this list or AJ Griffin? We're just not there yet. I have no issue with that at all. Um, if you said a year from now, you expect or think that one of those guys or both those guys would be on the list, I wouldn't argue with you. But so far, like Griffin's played one year. Uh, Johnson's actually played less minutes last year than Griffin did, which people have kind of forgotten at, at this point in time. They just haven't proven it. And, uh, you know, certainly I am high on both guys. But uh, objectively speaking, it, it would have been weird to rank them right now. The only guy who's who's not who's played less than them that is on the list is Wembenyama, who's kind of an outlier in a lot of ways. So I get all of that. Um, anyway, Hunter, Capella, and, Bogdan- and Bogdanovich are all in Tier 5, which is essentially the bottom tier, and it's like between 80 and 125. There's not really any delineations in, in Tier 5. It's just Tier 5A. Um, no breakdowns there in narrative analysis. Um, I would still argue this might even be too high for what DeAndre Hunter has accomplished. But last year, he was in Tier 4, and I was pretty critical of that. Um, I thought that was way too high for what he had done, and I, I think I was proven to be right for last season. Um, he did fall. I think he's probably in the right range now, but even then, you could argue by the metrics he's not even worthy of being in this range. But I think it, I, I think there's probably a happy medium on Hunter, and this is probably where he should be on some level. Uh, Capella and Bogey basically stay put where they were last year. Honestly, I would have Capella probably in Tier 4C, which is players between 67 and 80 in the league, so a little sort of a half tier above this. There's a section in that tier from Seth that actually has guys, like it's basically the impact role player tier is the way that he said it. It's got um, KCP and Bruce Brown and Alex Caruso and Marcus Smart in there, the current version of Marcus Smart, not, not two years ago, but right now. I think Capella is probably around there, different position obviously, but I think he's probably a top 80 player in the league for me at least as of right now, he could decline. I will certainly admit that, but um, no issue hugely with that. Just my personal note. I think Bogey is where he should be at this point as a sixth man type, still a very valuable player, but there you go. Uh, DeJounte Murray is in tier 4B this year, which is essentially spots 55 through 66. Last year, he was in 4A, which is like a top 50-ish player, and Hawks fans are mad about how low he was last year, and then he actually went down even further from that. Um, he's basically in a tier that Seth describes as one that has B plus guards, B plus bigs, and a couple of like grab bag guys like Franz Wagner in there as a you know non-guard, non-big. 
Um, I think it's a little low for Murray. I think I was probably more okay with it last year than a lot of people were. I think he's a little bit too low now after what happened last year. Like he's in the same tier as Austin Reeves. Um, that's a sort of a sidebar, but I think the Austin Reeves love is getting a little bit out of hand at this point. Um, I think Murray is pretty clearly better than him right now. Um, I also do understand dropping him because of his defensive showing last year and generally not the most efficient guy in the world, but I think dropping him made sense, but I think it probably should have been a little bit higher last year and a little bit higher this year, if that makes sense, like a half tier on both accounts. And then you get to Trey Young. So this is the one that was got, I think got the most attention from Hawks fans that I heard from. Trey is in tier 3B, which is the worst mark for him in these tiers since 2020. Uh, that is the player range between 25 and 33 in the league. Um, last year, he was in tier 2B, which is a top 15 player in the league. So it's a decent drop, like 10 to 15 spots here for Trey. Um, the thing that I think rubbed me the wrong way and some other people was that he was lumped in in the narrative with Kyrie Irving as a player that is, quote, hard to trust. I don't really understand that comparison, honestly. You know, Trey has weaknesses for sure. and But I think you do know what you're getting with Trey Young um, in a way that you do not with Kyrie Irving, for instance. Um, also, Trey's playoff um, resume is dotted. Like, he was really bad two years ago, but he's had some playoff success. Like, obviously, the limitations there are, are what they are. But I think, you know, that got referenced there. Um, I think Trey should be at least in Tier 3A, if not higher. This is too low for me. I think uh, Seth and I have talked about Trey a lot. I am definitely higher on Trey than Seth is. I don't think this is an absolutely crazy ranking, but I, I would have here at least a half tier, maybe even a full tier higher than this. Um, it's kind of eye of the beholder. I think Seth probably holds the defense against him more than I do. Obviously, Trey's defense is not very good. We talked about that a lot. And uh, I'm planning, by the way, to still have that uh, player capsule coming with Glenn Willis on Trey Young at some point in the near future. But um, I think Trey should at least be in Tier 3A. For, in for instance, De'Aaron Fox is in 3A. Um, I personally would have Trey higher than De'Aaron Fox, which I think I'm not sure if that's a consensus opinion now because Fox had a great year last year. No argument there. And, of course, the Kings had success last year. I think, though, Trey is still a better player than De'Aaron Fox. And I think it's an overreaction to say otherwise. Again, not a huge chasm there between the two players, but I think at the very least, they should be in the same tier. And I personally have Trey. Um, also, Donovan Mitchell's in, Donovan Mitchell's in that tier. Uh, I've basically always had Donovan Mitchell below Trey, maybe in the same tier. Um, I think you know Donovan had a, great, had a really good year last year in Cleveland and Trey didn't have his best season, but I, stick, I probably would still lean to Trey. It'd be close. Um, also, Trey, Seth did acknowledge this. It's very hard to rank Jamal Murray because Jamal Murray has never made an all-star team and really has never played at a top 25 or top 30 or that, even that kind of level in the regular season. Now, obviously in the playoffs, they just won the title. He was great. In the bubble, he was awesome. So Murray is, again, admittedly a tough guy to evaluate and describe and talk about because regular season-wise, he's not ever been that kind of guy, but in the playoffs, it's been very good. Um, Trey has always, and I, and I do mean always, been better than Jamal Murray in the 82-game regular season. In the playoffs, obviously, Murray's been better, so no argument there. But I have a hard time with, at the very least, Jamal Murray being a full tier ahead of Trey Young is a little bit weird for me um, because of all of that. So if it's a playoff-only thing, I would get it. But alas, there you go. And I will admit, I've always been a little bit lower on Murray. I definitely, I buy, Jamal Murray, I should say. I buy him more than I ever have now. The playoffs were awesome. I just think he's kind of a weird player. to evaluate. Sometimes there's guys that are hard to evaluate. In regular season. He's one of those guys. Anyway, long story short, I'm not, I'm not outraged by any single tier listing that Seth had of the Hawks. I didn't go through the whole list. That's not my duty, my, my duty on this podcast. Um, I do think in general, he's a little bit low on a couple of guys. I think he's a little bit low on Trey. I think he's, if anything, a little bit low on Murray and Capella. 
I think he is maybe a, bl- a little bit high, if anything, on Hunter and Bogey's in the right place. And uh, I'd have a Kongu on there too, just to summarize all that stuff. But anyway, nothing just completely outrageous. Like I would rant and rave, I'm sure, in fact, between now and top 100 season, which if you are a long time listener, you will know that there's usually this a like, couple weeks in September where top 100 listings come out. And there's usually a couple of just like whopper bad listings about the Hawks. I will rant and rave about those when we get there if necessary. But for now, I think Seth was you know a little bit low on some guys, but nothing outrageous. And I would have uh, Trey a little bit higher, let's just say. Not a huge surprise at this point in time because I've said this before. I, I think it's as weird as it might might have felt three or four years ago. I think Trey is underrated pretty clearly at this point in time. Anyway, we'll have one more breakthrough from our sponsors on today's podcast. We'll have much more on your mailbag questions and uh, stay tuned. Okay, mailbag time at the end of the podcast today. And a question from Sonny who says, I listened to Glenn and Kevin talk about V. Krejci, and I wonder what you think of the question that they answered. Does cutting V in August mean that the Hawks are more or less likely to stand pat until the regular season? Um, I listened to this as well. And uh, though I always say this, when either Glenn or Kevin are on the podcast, I would recommend listening to ATL on 29. They're not paying me to say that, but Glenn Willis at Petri Hoops and Kevin Chenard of Hawks.com do a great job on that podcast. I guess we're technically like competitors or whatever, but Kevin and I sit next to each other all the time at Hawks games. Like Glenn's an awesome guy. There's plenty of room for both shows. And I listen to those guys every single episode when I can. So there you go. Uh, anyway, Sonny is right. They kind of like talked about this on their show this last week. And I did talk about it a little bit when the Hawks actually moved on from Krejci uh, kind of in real time. But I want to answer this now because I know it's kind of the dog days and I'm, people are not listening to every show, etc. I do think that cutting Krejci in August is an indication, if anything, that it is more likely than not. Again, more likely than not, not definite, more likely than not, that the Hawks are just kind of set with their current group at this point. Again, I want to be clear. I am not reporting that they are definitely done by any means. But if the question is whether they'll actually be more or less likely to stand pat, I think that they are definitely more likely to stand pat, and that that's probably an indication. Again, probably, not definitely, but probably an indication that they're more likely to stand pat. Um, for instance, they had 16 guys for 15 spots. Only one of them was non-guaranteed, and it was V. So it wasn't a surprise that they cut V. Krejci. I was forecasting that as the most likely outcome for quite some time, but they didn't have to do it now. They could have gone into training camp and made a choice then. Part of it potentially is that they wanted to give Veet a chance to land somewhere else. The Hawks do like to do that, but they also did close some doors on potential flexibility. Like I think Glenn says on their podcast as well. Um, if you're thinking about making trades, you want all your options open. That means like guys that you can throw in trades and guarantee and cobble salaries together, et cetera, and uh, making, you know, multi multiplayer deals. It would have been useful potentially to have Veet on the roster. So go ahead and cutting him now is like, uh, maybe we don't need to do that. Again, I would have already said that a trade was unlikely between you know mid-August and training camp because that's just the nature of the NBA. Not many deals happen in that range. Again, they, some, 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 sometimes they do. Maybe the Dame Lillard deal is going to happen, James Harden, et cetera. But usually, barring some weird event, they're not huge blockbusters in late August or, or September. But they could have kept beat for flexibility, and they didn't do that. So that's probably an indication that they're ready to go with this group of 15 guys that they have right now. They could just go with this group and nothing else. They have the two-way guys on the on the team right now, and Miles Norris and Seth Lundy. If they want to roll with that, they have a spot open there as well, which we have not talked about a lot. But you know, I know they they issued a qualifying offer to Trent Forrest, who could sign at any point if he wants to. They could sign to somebody else. They don't have to fill that spot either. So we'll keep an eye on that. But I think as far as the 15 guys on the roster are concerned, if I had to guess, and I, I think again, it became more likely if anything when they cut V, they'll just roll with this group when they get to camp in September. Okay, one more question, and this is a sort of a non-current one, but also thought it was pretty interesting from DJ Yogi, who says, if you could retire a Hawks alums jersey this upcoming season, who would you retire? Um, 
I could give a very long answer on this, but I will just say for me, it's Joe Johnson and it's not particularly close. Um, I think Al Horford should be retired when he's retired, but he's not done playing in the NBA yet. So he's not really an option here. Um, there are some other candidates for sure. Like Kevin Willis is one. Cliff Hagen is more of an old school one. If you want to go a little bit deeper, like maybe Mookie Blaylock or Steve Smith. But I think Joe is the only guy right now that is retired from the league that I think would be a easy yes for me if I am the Hawks based on, again, this is, this is, this is important. The Hawks are not the Celtics. They don't have 30 guys in the rafters, but they have made some decisions that I think kind of push it to where you kind of have to have Joe retired in my opinion. So for one thing, this is probably the easiest way to frame this. Joe has a better case right now for the Hawks only. I want to stress that for the Hawks only than Pete Maravich. And he already had his jersey retired. That's one. Uh, Kevin Matumbo is another one that's a little bit close, I would say. But those guys are already retired. And that, that's where the Hawks have set the bar. And they, they chose their own. But that's where the bar is right now. For instance, Pete Maravich played four seasons in Atlanta. He was obviously quite good. But he played four seasons and has been retired. That's a very small number, especially with only two all-star appearances and really no like notable team success. Like They were okay, but they weren't great at all. So that's kind of weird. Um, Matumbo had a better case than Maravich did because he won two Defensive Player of the Year awards. That's a, that's an, a, it's a full league award. That's a pretty special thing. And he made the all-star team all, all four years that he was here. But he only played four and a half seasons in Atlanta. That's a pretty small sample size, too. Um, Obviously, I will acknowledge that Maravich and Matumbo are both like much more famous, prominent, historical figures if you include their entire careers than Joe Johnson. I am not stupid. I get that. Maravich, college stuff was off the charts. Matumbo, one of the all-time great defenders, like huge, like top 10 all-time in blocks and rebounds, all that stuff. I get it. I'm talking Hawks only. And if you go to the Hawks only, Joe did more definitely than Maravich, and you could argue versus Matumbo as well. Um if you don't know this, Johnson played with the Hawks for seven seasons, which is almost double what Maravich played, and made six straight All-Star games versus only two for Maravich. Um, he was All-NBA in 2010. Over the seven seasons with the Hawks, this is important, Joe Johnson scored the sixth most points in the NBA over those seven seasons. Here are the guys ahead of him on that list. Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Dirk Nowitzki, Carmelo Anthony, and Dwayne Wade. All five of those guys are absolute lock Hall of Famers. So... That's a pretty good indication. Uh, Joe was also top 20 in the league in games played. He was incredibly durable and consistent. He was not the most fancy guy or the most electric guy in the world. I totally get that. And the Hawks weren't great when he got here because they he was acquired in a bizarre fashion. I'm, I'm going I'm to avoid the history lesson right now, but he was uh, that was a weird sign and trade with a fractured ownership group, all that stuff. But w- once he got here and got established, they were a playoff team five straight seasons in his last five years. Um, and he was a huge part of that turnaround, probably the centerpiece of that turnaround in a lot of different ways. So the big thing, again, for me, is that the baseline the Hawks have sent with their own choices of putting in Maravich and Matumbo. And I think if you go by that, Joe should be in. Um, if you, you know, Before that, if you wanted to like go off of the standard of Lou Hudson, Dominique, and Bob Pettit, which, which were the three guys before that, I don't know if Joe rises to that level. But as soon as you put Maravich in, I think you got to put Johnson in. And I think... Al Alford should be behind them. And honestly, there's an interesting case for like Paul Millsap. And we'll get into that later if we need to. But I think Joe is, uh, to answer the question, if I had to do my own choice this coming season uh, of the guys who are available and who would qualify for the Hawks, I would go with Joe Johnson. There you go. Okay, we'll get out of here on this Wednesday evening into Thursday. Thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody. I really do appreciate it. Please subscribe to the show anywhere you get your podcasts, places like Apple and Spotify and YouTube. I have been trying my best 
And I think so, so far succeeding to get us three episodes at least per week on the feed, even in the absolute dog days. I don't think most people are doing this right now. It's just one of those things where it's very slow, but I'm trying my best. I have some guests lined up in the near, in the near future, and then we'll ramp, ramp back up to once the season begins, we're back to four or five days a week. That's going to be what we do uh, every game. As, as long as I don't have a huge conflict, I'll be here on the podcast, and uh, we recommend and hope that you will subscribe to the show and really even do, maybe do it multiple times. I'll download the show. Support the podcast any way you possibly can. Follow us on Twitter slash X at Lotton Hawks. Follow me if you'd like to on that service at BT Roland. I also write about the Hawks sometimes at patreon.com slash BT Roland. Again, thank you for listening to the podcast, everybody, and we'll see you all later this week.